Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. God's word for our meditation this morning, uh, for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, we'll focus on the words of 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through, actually we'll, we'll go through 11, but most of it will be on the screen. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. This is a special time of year in many of our churches across our church body. Uh, just a month and a half ago, we had graduation up at Martin Luther College. You know, young people had presented themselves for being willing to serve and to go share God's word as a teacher, a staff minister. Some people went on to the seminary. Some of those who graduated were assigned to different places to serve. Very exciting day, and we gave thanks for God providing workers for his church. Uh, that same week, down in Mequon, where our seminary is, where our pastors finish up their training, uh, young men offer themselves up for service, to serve as pastors. We have over 100 vacancies, churches without a full-time uh, permanent pastor. Uh, 25 graduated and offered themselves up for service, and many of them were assigned to different locations. Well, this is usually the week in the year, the end of June, when the U-Haul trucks are loaded up and they head out for their first place of service. Uh, some are leaving, some they're having their last, some of our members are having their last Sunday with us as their their home church before they move on to places of service and we wish them God's blessings. It's an exciting time and it's appropriate for us to give thanks for godly ministers among us, leaders in our congregations, pastors, teachers, staff ministers, and all those who serve in positions of leadership, boards, committees, uh, wherever you find yourself that God has placed you to lead. So we give thanks, but also we pray for them and we pray that God would grant us more. So today we pray for godly ministers. Humble leaders, humble people, and we give thanks to our gracious God. We pray for godly ministers, humble leaders, humble people, and we give thanks to our gracious God. Peter writes, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Why does he mention suffering? If you notice this spring, summer, Pastor Sutton has been preaching a lot from 1 Peter, which we're looking at today. Pastor Smith has been going through the Psalms. And in, in both of these books, or some of the Psalms, there's this theme of suffering. 
Uh, Peter mentions it because the congregations he's addressing all over Asia Minor, a very large area, a lot of congregations are going to read this letter. And they knew something was true for them, and Peter was saying, it's true for me also, we're suffering. Nero was coming to the throne of the Roman Empire, and if you read any histories, if you go home and Google Nero, you'll see it wasn't an easy time to be a Christian. The decade before that, not only had you had Jewish people uh, persecuting Christians, uh, not accepting them, not accepting the New Testament or Jesus as the Savior, you had that transforming into also the pagans were persecuting the Christians and the government started persecuting the Christians. You know, if suddenly you weren't allowed to meet in this church, not because of COVID, but because you're Christians, that takes a whole different flavor on, right? Not easy to live in a society like that. People were really under the gun, literally, so to speak. And so um, Peter writes to them and he says, you're suffering, Christ suffered, which is a comfort in two ways. One, we know why Christ suffered. He suffered at the hands of people. He suffered at the hands of the nation, Jewish nation, and also the Roman government. But he did it for us. And what it achieved for us? Forgiveness. Life. Freedom. Eternal life being given to us. So that's always good to be reminded of. Something we gloss over, take for granted all too often. But that's the biggest thing. Secondly, though, it reminds you that you're not weird when you suffer. Sometimes we think it odd that a as a Christian we suffer. Now, we have God on our side. We have God watching out for us. But why are we suffering? Why are people looking down on us for doing the right thing in a situation? Or not going along with them to do a wrong thing? Or why do we have this internal struggle in our hearts when we want to do the right thing, but yet everything else is telling us to do the wrong thing. Sometimes we lose that battle, sometimes we win that battle, but, but why is there such a struggle? Why do we have to undergo that? Well, Peter says, you're not weird. This is normal for the Christian. This is normal for you. Expect it and also be ready for it. And he says, we will also share in the glory to be revealed. We know what's coming. What a comfort. We know that suffering is only for this life. He says, I'm a fellow elder with you. I go through these same things as well. We think that Peter was martyred just about shortly after this letter, or his second letter, really. Um, and he knew suffering. Okay, so we pray for godly ministers who will point us back in times of persecution, times of suffering, to our Savior, to his suffering for us, shows that we're forgiven, freed, and we're not weird, which is a comfort. We pray for humble leaders. Whoever would take up leadership in our churches, Peter's addressing really, you know, that, that role of pastor that we call today, um, but also he's addressing really, you know, teachers, staff, ministers, leaders in the congregation, and really you can apply it to yourself wherever you are because all of us lead in some way, shape, or form. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. First thing you want to remember is the congregations that he were, was writing to, they were the flock of God. The congregation I'm speaking to is the flock of God. God has called you his own. He's brought you into his fold. You are his sheep, his lambs. And what a wonderful privilege and blessing that is. And he is the one who's ultimately over us. And we think of the wonderful comfort Jesus called himself. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I take it up again. 
Uh, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Old Testament, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. All this wonderful comfort because we are simply sheep of the good shepherd. And God blesses us with under-shepherds, people he puts over us to bless us as a blessing, to, to show us, to remind us of this, to point us to the good shepherd. And what he wants from us as leaders are three different things Peter spells out. One, your attitude is important. Uh, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. Why does a person get into leadership? Why does a person get into ministry? When I was a kid, my parents say, you have to be a pastor, a teacher, or a staff minister. You have to. Well, no. I mean, they encouraged, but they, you know, the door was open for me to serve in whatever way the Lord might lead me to serve. And in my sanctified judgment, what do I want to do? How do I want to serve the Lord? I know I'm going to serve the Lord in some way, shape, or form. And what a wonderful freedom that is. Because when we're doing things from guilt or because, well, someone said I should, that takes the joy out of it. And people notice that. People notice that in your attitude, don't they? When you're joyless in something or you're doing it because you have to, um, when a kid wants to do something, you see it on their face, and when you're forcing them to do something, you know, their head is down, they're looking down. Um, no, God wants you to do this joyfully because it's a privilege. He's given us this to do. It's a great responsibility, and we get to serve. So, because we're eager, as God wants us to be. Second thing he is concerned about, um, he doesn't want to do you, have you do this as drudgery or slavery, but with joy. And what's your motivation? Uh, he says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Okay, so I had a seminary professor sat, sat down with the class. We were going through First Timothy, and he said, you know, he just talked about this. There's a section in there similar to this. And he said, uh, you know, if you're getting, it's what his father told him, if you're getting into ministry to make it rich or strike it rich, you are S-T-U-P-I-D. And we kind of all laughed a little bit, but it's true. You know, what's our motivation? Is it, obviously, um, we don't want to be out for dishonest gain. Um, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful responsibility that a congregation has and an obligation to uh, provide for the workers they've called to serve them, uh, you know, a, a decent uh, standard of living and to provide that for them. And you do that wonderfully and joyfully. Uh, thank you. Our, your, your workers feel very honored and privileged to serve here. Uh, but it's also on the, the worker then to not be out for the dishonest gain or to be having a love of money as they go through their most. That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it to serve the Lord, not because we're out for this financial gain. And it's a good reminder for leaders in whatever position of authority they are. And then the next thing that Peter talks about, the third thing, is he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being exam examples to the flock. Do it because I said so, you know, that kind of attitude. Not that God's word says it, but that I say it, you know, and I'm, I'm pastor or I'm leader or I'm council member or whatever it is. Um, no, we, we give what God's word has to say. We, we do things in line with that and we, and, we, and we preach that, we speak that, we command that, encourage that, but then we live that too. The word here for example is kind of cool. Uh, old churches, this church is over 150 years old, you know, and when you get to be around here, you kind of just find stuff. You know, not that I'm like digging everywhere, but you know, you just come across some stuff. Is that, you know what this is? Kind of an interesting little thing. It's uh, sometimes you see it like the license bureau. I don't know if they still have it, but you know, you've got like an official document, you know, you sign it and stuff. And then you, you know, put it in here and you get the seal impressed so that like you know it's official and you know it's, it's 
so also, you know, he says, be an example. Be like a seal that, that by your life, your example, how you live, you're imprinting that, impressing that on those you serve. Uh, they follow in that way. Kind of like a parent does with children, but especially in a beautiful way as we follow God's word and live it, that people notice that and see that and they follow in that. So those are the three things uh, he really says for, for leaders in the church. Um, so we pray for humble leaders. Um, and then this, uh, this reminder, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You know, we always have someone over us. It's the chief shepherd who cares about his flock, who cares about his under-shepherds, who cares about all of us. And he's really wanting this for us. And finally, when he comes, we have that wonderful gift of his grace. Bigger than any money, bigger than any honor, bigger than anything we get trapped up in in this life. This crown of glory that will never fade away. He calls us victorious. What a beautiful thing. Bigger thing than the world could give us, bigger thing um, than we could ever be rewarded with, he gives us to us by his grace. And so we serve with joy and thanking, and thanking God for that. So we pray for godly ministers, humble leaders, and also we pray for humble people. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Pride ruins everything, doesn't it? I'm not talking about a godly pride, but the pride that's so often in our hearts. You know, it, it started in the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve? And, you know, they know what God said. They know how much God loved them. They had a perfect relationship with him. But then that thought, this could be better than what God has for me. Pride. And they reached out and they grabbed that fruit because their way, way was better than God's way. And they took of it and they ate it and everything was ruined. And now we have this pride in our hearts. And it, it peeks out of the pulpit for those who serve in leadership, for those who serve in ministry, for pastors too. You know, to, in our pride to not be able to see things rightly. We look at, uh, I don't know if you noticed, when we used, remember when we used to have bulletins? And the bulletins had words on them? That was always a good time, right? On the back it would say your worship attendance or your average weekly worship attendance. It would say like last year, two years ago. We were worshiping, before COVID even hit, we were worshiping a hundred less a Sunday than we were two years ago. You know, for, well, what does pride want to do? Well, it must mean my people don't care about God's word as much anymore. Or, um, you know, I, I, uh, I prepare a Bible class and I think, you know, it's a great Bible class. I've studied a lot on it, spent a lot of time on it, got some good things to share. And I look at who shows up and I go, wow, this is a small number. Not as many as I thought should show up. Well, that means then, that must mean that my people don't care about God's word. Or uh, we look at the, the offerings and, and, and we look at the, you know, the, that, that bottom quarter and some of them are not giving anything all year. And immediately my mind jumps to, well, they must have their priorities out of order. They must... Um, not value God's word. They must, um, what else can we throw in that? Um, they must be after mammon and idol, idolize money and think that that's the key to happiness and so they're robbing the And the list goes on. I preach a great sermon, an absolutely amazing sermon in my mind and I come out and nobody says anything. Well, people weren't listening then. And so in my pride, I'm tempted to jump to all these conclusions, which in most cases are completely false. 
I mean, you think about it, like what a beautiful thing God does with his family of believers and the growth that God is doing among you. And some, just because, it'd be like a farmer going out right after he plants and going, is it growing? And digging up the soil and digging up each plant and then ruining it because of trying to look for growth. No, God is growing as he wants and as he wills in each one of our hearts. So for me to jump to these conclusions is, is proud, is wrong, is arrogant, is all those things. Pride ruins the beautiful relationships that we have between leader and church, between people and leaders of those people. But pride putters out of the pew, too, doesn't it? You know, I, I sit in the pew, too. And some days, you know, you come and the communion ware is set up and you go, oh, this is going to be a long service. You know, like, like the Lord's body and blood is a bad thing. Um, you, you get into the, the mode where you look who's up front or in the bulletin you see who, well, who's preaching, who's presiding. Well, it's going to be a great service. It's going to be a boring service. Or it's going to be, nah. you know, you just have all these, these thoughts that come to you. And then you look at who's playing. Well, like, oh, okay, worship is going to be really good today or worship is going to be really bad today. And we make all these judgments. Um, we look at uh, all the wrong things. Now, obviously, you know, for the pastor, you know, when the pastor looks at these things, church attendance is down or Bible class, well, that's a reason for encouragement. That's a reason for prayer. That's a reason to definitely be concerned about these things and to do it in a godly way. And as a, as a, as a parishioner, when you come in, you know, obviously we want to have excellence in worship. We want to uh, value our workers and also value that we give God our best and our all. But on the other hand, what does genuine concern oftentimes degenerate into? Pettiness and self-centeredness. And we basically become like movie critics, like Siskel and Ebert, you know, judging everything and whether this is going to be good or bad. And we miss out on why we're here in the first place. To have opportunity to come away from an unquiet world and to find rest in our Savior and his words for us, no matter who's speaking them to us. Just to be thankful that we do have God's word and his love and forgiveness. And the second thing also is that we come to, to strengthen one another. And if we're here judging this and judging that, how can we really build one another up? So, yeah, there's a reason. We pray for humble leaders and we pray for humble people. And Peter reminds us why we can humble ourselves and why we can do this and why we want to do this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers through the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Why can we willingly humble and submit ourselves? Because it's who we're under. Under the chief shepherd under God's mighty hand. It's not that we have this or that and so we can do it. It's simply because we have God. Let's say that together. We have God. So many people wonder who God is. So many people have uncertainties as to, so what's God's relationship or what's my relationship with God or what do I do, have to do to get a relationship with God? And we have the blessing of having God's word spoken to us and we know what our relationship with God is and it's good because he's made it good. Because God decided to love us. And how much did he love us? In what way did he love us? That he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He's given us his forgiveness. He's washed us clean in the waters of our baptism. He's connected us to everything Christ has done. The perfect life that Jesus lived, never being prideful. 
always perfectly following his father and loving his brother and sister in Christ, and even those who weren't yet brothers and sisters in him. That life is credited to us. So then when God looks at us, he sees his beloved child, perfect. And he says, you get to be with me in heaven for all eternity. And by the way, throughout your life, I'm going to be watching out for you. I'm going to be helping you. And so recognize that relationship. Recognize where we fit in this. We are not God. And that's a good thing. And we're thankful for that. We are his people. And so we bring our requests. We bring everything to him because we don't have the power to do this life or to survive this life or to thrive in this life. But he does. And he willingly gives it to us. And so we go to him casting our anxieties on cares on him because he loves us. We know our enemy is big. Picture yourself as the flock, bedded down for the night. It's dark out, a starless sky. And all of a sudden you hear a, raw, a, a kind of a grumble, a roar from just over there. And then over there. And then it's over there. The devil is always on the lookout to try and take us from our Savior, to lead us away or to devour us whole. Tempting us to sin, throwing guilt on, no, you can't be forgiven, how could God love you anymore? And just all the lies and the things and the accusations he makes. And so now more than ever, Peter says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is your Savior you follow. He's stronger than the devil. He's defeated the devil. He's taken the sting out of death. And he promises us eternal life. And he goes with us every step of the way. And so we pray for godly leaders, godly ministers, humble leaders, humble people, and that we be humble people. And he makes us humble people. And then finally, we give thanks to our gracious God. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. He called us to his eternal glory. He's called us out of all the mess, and he's made us his own. And he says, for you, this suffering is only a little while. Which is a wonderful comfort, because we don't always feel it's a little while. Whether it's a physical suffering, a, a mental suffering, a, an emotional or a spiritual suffering, maybe one that everybody can see, maybe one that no one can see, but he can see. He says, it's only a little while. It's the perfect amount for you to bless you, to benefit you, and I will be with you. And this is what you have coming. He will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He strengthens us. He comes to us. He, he, he makes us straight. He, he puts a foundation under us, and he strengthens us to stand. And so for that, we say, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.